0: Lord, thank you for this night, and Lord, thank you for um, being able to just worship you and enter into your presence, Lord, and we are so thankful for that. We're so thankful, Lord, that we can praise you, that we can um, exalt you, that we can, uh, Lord, worship you uh, corporately, individually, Lord. We can worship you any time of the day, night, whenever. Lord, and I pray that um, our lives would be um, an act of worship to you, uh, Lord, as we live it out here on this planet. Uh, so be with us tonight, Lord. Um, just stretch us a little bit, uh, challenge us, Lord, and um, just speak to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a little, just a quick, kind of give you where we're at, you know that um Paul and Barnabas are called, in the beginning of chapter 13, they're, they just come back from Jerusalem to bring the offering to the Jerusalem church. Now they're back in Antioch in Syria, right? And there's, um, you know, they're, they're praying, they're, they're ministering to the Lord. That's, I always found that was interesting. They're ministering to the Lord, not asking God for anything, just ministering to him, worshiping him, they're fasting, um, and the Holy Spirit tells them to separate Barnabas and Saul. And in verse 4, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's, um, there's a difference between being sent out and went out. <laughs> so here they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. And that's, you know, that's the way God does it. God sends us out. Um, you know, if you went out, you know, it's almost like you're going out on your own, you know, on your own strength. You're dependent on yourself. But it's so important to understand that, that they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. You know, they get, um, they land in, in um, Cyprus, they go to Salamis first, they go to the synagogue, and then they work their way across the whole island of Cyprus. And once again, I mean, that's, that's close to 70, 80 miles across. And as they're going across Cyprus, they're ministering in all of the villages as they go. They, ended up, they end up at Papos, and, of course, they run into Almeas. Um You know, he's, um, you know, and I, if you remember when we, we looked at that um, last month, really, that, um, you know, Almeus was um, getting in the way of what God was doing in Sergius Paulos' life. Um, he's, he wants to hear the word, and Almeus, the sorcerer, is getting in the way of that, uh, Paul Um, Kind of rebukes him and he's blind. And um, it's interesting in verse 12, um, it says, The proconsul believed, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now I'm sure that the miracle that seeing, you know, Peter rebuke the sorcerer and having him become blind, but it's interesting that he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Once again, the Word of God he saw a miracle, but what really got him excited and caught his attention was the word of God, the word of the Lord. And it's so important, the emphasis on that, and I'm going to probably say it a few times as we go through, that emphasis, you know, the word of God, the word of God. So they, they leave um, Cyprus and they head to Perga and Pamphylia. Um, John leaves them, John Mark leaves them to go back to Jerusalem Um, We talked about this last time. There's a lot of different speculation on why, but I'll leave that up to the commentators to um, figure out. It says, he departed, he departed. It doesn't give us a reason. So um, that's good enough for me. And then verses 15 and 16, it says, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And uh, then, Senate it says that Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, and he starts his sermon with um, a history lesson similar to Stephen's um, about, um, you know, Israel being, um, you know, in in Egypt and coming out of Egypt. Um, you know, you know, Paul is gonna is gonna take every opportunity he can to share the gospel, right? And it's interesting, you know, Paul. Paul's reputation could have preceded him in the fact that, like, his reputation as a Pharisee, being part of the Sanhedrin. And, you know, um, Barnabas was a Levite. So here they are sitting in the sanctuary, in the synagogue, and as the custom after the law and the prophets were read, they asked somebody, you know, if they had an exhortation for the group. And, you know, who knows, maybe they looked over and thought, wow, here's Paul, a Pharisee. Here's a, here's a man whos who learned under Gamaliel. you know let's do you have anything you want to say to the group and uh, Paul certainly does and it's I really appreciate what Paul does because he's going he's going to tell them something that they need to hear now they have all of these preconceived ideas as to um, what this way is all about, what Christianity um, is all about, and um, but they're um, you know they're um, they're Jewish, they're Jewish. I was looking to th- just thinking the the application for us, especially in the times that we live in, is that um, you know people are going to disagree with what we think or what we believe. Um, people have um, their own belief system formulated. Um, you know, but it, it should never discourage us, us from from sharing the truth. Because Paul is going into this. He's standing up, you know, talking to these folks in the synagogue, and he knows where they're coming from, right? He was there. He was a Pharisee, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he was like... Um, Number, number one enemy to the church. So he knows exactly where these folks are. And he also knows what they need to know to get out of where they are and where God wants them to be. And you know what? That is so true for us. You know, we, the people we interact with, we know if they're not in Christ, then there's some place where they don't, they shouldn't be. And they need to be where we are. Now, I don't want to confuse you with that, but think about the logic. You know, if they're not saved, they're in the wrong place, okay, spiritually. And you know what? Just like Paul knows what these folks need to hear, we know what people that are lost need to hear. And it's simple. It's the word of God. It's the gospel. And we're going to see that tonight. So, um, you know, just thinking of what's going through Paul's head, you know, just, hey, you know, I know, what the, I know what these guys are thinking. I know what they need to hear. So what does he do? He gives them a history lesson. And then it, it takes us up to, to verse 26. And it, it really um, kind of hits things home with these guys. And it's really an awesome um, part of the scripture. And this is, one of Paul, this is Paul's first message, and it's one of its, its longest and the reason why I think it was so long is if you look, when he goes to Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, it's not really recorded what he teaches when he's there. It records a lot of the incidents, a lot of things that happened with him. So I think that we get this longer message, and it kind of gives us an idea um, of what he was sharing while he was traveling around in that area. So let's, pick, let's read verses 26 through 28. So he he says, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, um, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate um, that he should be put to death. So Paul gets he gets through the history lesson, he just gets done talking about John the Baptist. And it's interesting, I want to there is one thing that I did want to point out, just some food for thought. Um, you know, Paul quotes pretty much quotes John the Baptist in what uh, in verses 23, 24, 25. You know, when uh, John says in, in verse 25, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, um, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. And I was just thinking, was, was Paul one of those Pharisees that was there in the crowd? When, um, you know, John was saying, you brood of vipers. You know, who, you know, who said that you should come out here, right? Um, you know, Paul was a Pharisee. Was he there? You know, did he hear him say this, and now he's quoting him? You know, I don't know. Something to think about. You know, Paul was um, behind the scenes in a lot of things. We know he was there holding the the coats of those folks that um, stoned Stephen. And we know that that had a huge impact on his whole life. So um, just something to think about. So he, you know, we're up to the point where he's talking about John the Baptist, that baptism to repentance, to get ready uh, for the Messiah, So in verse uh, 27, it says, For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, um, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. So when I read verse 28, so verse 26, you know, Paul's audience Um, He he addresses them as brethren and sons of the family of Abraham. You know, there's no contention with Paul here. You know, even though Paul knows that these, I mean, these folks are, um, they're always going to be at odds because of their faith. He, um, you know, he's just so loving and just straightforward with them and, um, you know, the application for that, guys, is obvious. You know, we're not, um, you know, we need to be loving as we reach out. We need to understand that people think differently, but we also need to know that they need to hear the truth. You know, and Paul is just, um, you know, he's just loving these guys, but, you know, and it's going to it's going to go downhill for him, though. Look at verses, when we see verses 27 and 28, it says that Paul makes a reference, you know, he kind of switches gears. He's addressing the folks that are there um, in Antioch. But now he makes a reference to the rulers and the people in Jerusalem. And he's going to tell them what happened. He's saying, he's telling them that they, the rulers, a few things. They didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't realize he was the one of whom the prophets had spoke of. And when they heard the predictions concerning the Messiah from the scriptures, they heard it every week, week in, week out, and they couldn't make the link between Jesus of Nazareth and being the Messiah. Think about that. If you were in the synagogue for 20 years, week after week after week, hearing the prophets talking about the coming Messiah... And then having him come and then being a part of having him crucified. Talk about being on the wrong end of a prophecy. Instead of them seeing that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, they persuaded Pilate, even though when they couldn't find any guilt in him, persuaded Pilate to have him crucified. So think of being, you know, how how they're they're on the wrong side of this. And Paul is trying to show them that. And he's going to show them that. And, you know, it's just so interesting. When you talk to people out on the street, when you talk to family, those that aren't saved, you know, they're on the wrong side of the argument. But, you know, we have to be that in between. You know, we have to be that mediator that can communicate the gospel to them in a way that they're going to listen. You know, I know sometimes it gets contentious, but for the most part, and I know it could be done because if you read through the book of Acts, you see Paul towards the end, and we're in in chapter 22, chapter 23, they're trying to kill Paul. They're trying to rip his limbs off, and he has an opportunity to speak to them, and he's loving them. He's loving them. He's speaking the truth in love, but he's loving them. You know, and if he, can, if he can be that way, it's showing me as an example to, hey, even if people throw, I mean, just ridicule you or whatever, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't, we, we just have to share the truth in love. You know, when Stephen was being stoned, what did he say? You know, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus said the same thing on the cross. You know, and Paul... And I think it's chapter 22, he's, he's telling the, the, the Jewish crowd that he um, appreciates their zeal for the law. You know, he's, he's trying to, um, to appeal to them. And what he, he, the, the context there is the zeal that they had when they were trying to kill him. You know, Paul had a heart and a love for the lost. And he didn't, whatever they did to him, it didn't change that. It didn't change that. And the reason was because Paul was convinced in his heart that God had called him to that. You know, and guys, we have to be convinced in our heart that God has called us to our faith, to you know, to be ambassadors, to live a certain way, to have a message. You know, God's called, and he's equipped us for that. You know, Paul knew that, and, you know, towards, uh, I think it's... Um, I think it's in chapter 20, where, you know, they're tell, keep telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul says, hey, you know what? I'm going because that's what God wants. And if whatever happens to me happens, he knew he was in God's will. He wasn't concerned about the outcome of things. He knew if he was in God's will and doing God's will, he was fine, right? That's the safest and the best place you could be It's keeping in step with the Lord and what he's doing in your life. So I appreciate... You know, I appreciate Paul and his ministry. You know, and think about, think about it. These guys are living um, in probably, man, think about it. You're living in a time when Jesus came and he's resurrected and the church is just growing. I mean, how, I mean it's, it's awesome today to be a Christian, but think of being like the grassroots, right? And these poor folks, they missed it. They missed it. You know, and, um, you know, Paul is going to, he's going to give them the truth in a loving way, and it's just exciting. But, you know, the question that I was asking myself as I was reading through this, you know, is what about me? What about me? I'm in this building, well, I'm in the building a lot, but, but I'm here for service three nights a week. I've been saved since I was 27. So I've been in church a lot. And you know what? You know what's you know for you know what's the deal? Am I missing? Have I missed? Sure, I've missed some things that God has been trying to say to me. But the point I'm trying to make is that are we aware of that? You know, are we aware that when we're we come here and we hear the truth, and you know, and I know that it's just our nature. Sometimes it's just like, whoosh, like you know, we had a long day. You know, we're tired. And I'm bringing this up to encourage you that, you know what, you know, and I know I heard this when I first started, you know, coming to church, you know, you got to get your heart and your mind right when you get here, right? You got to come with the right mindset. And we were in a church, it was the Foursquare square church in New York City. And what blew me away besides the fact that it was like huge is that when we came in, like a half hour before the service started, there were three hundred people at the altar already praying for the service. You know, they're just coming, expecting, coming, expecting God to do something. You know, because we're all in agreement. The Word of God is the will of God. We know that it's true. That it's inerrant. We know it's the, the it's the Word of God. And when we come here, we come to hear that. We come because we really believe in our heart that there is a message for us. These people go to the synagogue. They were going to the synagogue to hear the message, and they were missing it. But now Paul is going to set them straight. At least he's going to give them an opportunity to get things together. So, you know, Paul references the rulers in Jerusalem. You know, they heard all the predictions concerning the Messiah, they missed it they missed it well the question is why you know why did they miss it well 9 years later paul is going to write from macedonia he's going to write to the corinthian church right in second corinthians and paul gives gives us a little insight or a picture of this transition from unbelief to believing and that's where they are right they're in a position right now of unbelief right so paul writes to the Corinthian church, this is like roughly nine years later from what we're looking at here in Acts. And, um, you know, you can o- only wonder, you know, how God inspired Paul to write, you know, the, God, the epistles. And if, um, you know, some of this, maybe this message or this incident um, where he's at in Antioch, if it came to mind, you know, I don't know. But listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, in verses 14 through 18. Um, You could turn there if you want. We're going to spend a few minutes here, but it's. um, I really think it helps us understand what the problem was with uh, the folks in the synagogue there in um, Antioch. So in verse uh, 14, it starts out, but their minds were blinded. uh, For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil was taken away in Christ. Well, they didn't acknowledge Christ, so obviously the veil is still covering right, their mind and in the synagogue, right? That's what Paul's saying. So he goes on and says, But even to this day, so now Paul brings it current, Even to this day when Moses is read, A veil lies on their heart. So it's interesting. He goes from first, you know, the veil is still, it's still, um, you know, they're blinded, right? Because it remains unlifted from their, their, their minds. And then he says in verse 15, but even to this day, you know, and you could, whoa. But that was interesting. All right. Hold on a second, guys. So what Paul is saying is that their minds are, they're blind. They're blind to the truth. They're blind to, um, in this case, the Old Testament scriptures because, um, you know, they can't understand it because they're not in Christ. And, you know, did did you ever read the Bible before you got saved? And you read the Bible and, you know, it it didn't really make sense. And then you got saved and all of a sudden you, you thought you were reading a different book right? Same difference here. So let me catch up to where I was, because this iPad has a mind of its own. All right, and so in verse 15, it says, but even to this day, when Moses is read, and, you know, they're reading the law and the prophets in the synagogue, right, and where we are in Acts, and it says, a veil lies on their heart. And then verse 16, it says, nevertheless, and this is the transaction here, nevertheless, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, These folks that Paul is addressing in the synagogue, they have this veil on their face. This veil, they can't see. They're blinded. It's on their heart. They have a hard heart. And we've all been there, right? We've all been there. And when we share the gospel with people, that's where they're at. That's where they're at. So let's look at it. Let's break these verses down a little bit because I think there's a lot there for us as believers to, to get and I'm um, just a glimpse at. So in, it says the veil. And, you know, in, in this portion of scripture, the veil represents unbelief. Okay, it represents unbelief. The Israelites here at Corinth and, you know, in Antioch and Jerusalem, right? They didn't grasp the glory of the Old Testament because of their unbelief. Their unbelief and hard heart blinded them. That was that veil that they couldn't see what was going on? They couldn't see the truth. Um, and if you um, in Hebrews three verses eight, fifth, and fifteen, and Hebrews four verse seven, you don't have to turn there, but there are references to hearing God's voice and not hardening your heart. And it's so critical because I know, um, and you know, and I'll just give you um, my experience. There, were, there were times that I heard things growing up in the church and in my faith that, um, you know, I just didn't want to hear, right, about me or about my life or whatever. And, you know, I mean, it was all a growing process. And, you know, I had to get to the place where I could hear some hard things from God and not harden my heart. You know, I'm just being real with you. It happens to all of us. You know, God is, you know, and I, if I could, I could go around the room right now, and you guys, everybody's going through something with the Lord. Every, the Lord has our attention in some area of our life, and he's working on it. And it's easy for us to kind of fight that, because sometimes it hurts. But don't let it, you know, don't let it, because, you know, we, we're going to, God is going to get us through the uncomfortableness of it. Right, because we're, we just read, he, want, we're, he wants to bring us from glory to glory. You know, he wants to bring us closer and closer and closer to him. Right, and the closer we get to the Lord, the more we, we sense and see his glory, right? That's the goal, and Paul is trying to get these guys to see it. Hey, you missed it. You missed it. But don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You missed it, but it's okay. Because he's gonna he's gonna bring them to the point of how they can get right, you know, get get back on track if you will, um, in their lives. So Paul's point in um, these in verses 14 and 15 here in Second um, Corinthians was that just as the old covenant was obscured to the people of Moses' day, it was still obscured to those who trusted in the law as a means of salvation in Paul's day. And that's what these folks were doing. They were putting all their hope in the law, putting all their hope in the law of Moses, the old covenant, um, not realizing that Jesus had already come, the Messiah had already come, and set them free from that. And, you know, I mean, how awesome is that? That, you know, we're, we're not bound by the law. That we can live our lives in the grace of God, that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ every day. You know, and... Amazing to see that. Paul wants, Paul's trying to get the message across. So the veil is taken away in Christ. Without Christ, okay, um, the Old Testament, in the case of these guys that Paul's addressing in Antioch, right, um, it's beyond comprehension for them. They can't see it. And sadly, they didn't want to see it. I mean, they were like, Hey, we're go to synagogue, man. Don't you know? And, and we're just here to stuff. This is good. We're in a good. We're in like a routine, man. This is good. And there's no change. There's no life change. There's no. Um, there's no um, drawing near to God. They're just going through this, the motions. Just going through the motions. And Paul wants to pull them out of that. Paul wants to pull them out of that. So when a person comes to Christ, and I know this is kind of academic for you guys, kind of obvious, but when a person comes to Christ, that veil is lifted. That veil is lifted, and that spiritual perception is, isn't impaired anymore. And that's, when, that's the point, is to get people to this point where they can see the reality of the gospel so, they can, so that, that veil is gone and they, they have some perspective. That they could see what you're saying when you're talking about the gospel, that there's that reality there, so the veil is removed and believers are able to see the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That's Paul's Paul's going into this um, message for these folks with this is the intent that he has. You know, he wants them he wants to uh, remove that veil. He wants them to soften their hearts and acknowledge the fact that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Messiah. And he's going to point that out. In John 1.14, a verse that we're all familiar with, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul wanted them to see Jesus in that way. So after conversion, they came to understand that the law was never, okay, the law was never to save them but was to lead them, so that's that's the goal you don't need to serve the law anymore. The law was there. Paul wrote Galatians right? He wrote Galatians to drive that point home right at this he hadn't written Galatians yet, but he 's going to write it pretty soon it's nice to look at the chronology of that because it helps you see things fall into place but um, so his goal is to get him to see that um, you know, guys, it isn't the law. It isn't the law. It says, for the Lord is that spirit. In verse 17, Yahweh of the Old Testament is the same Lord who is saving the people in the new covenant through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So God is, you know, the same God is ministering to both the old and the new covenant. There's a liberty in Christ towards the end of that, verse 17. In verse 18 of uh, 2 Corinthians, I, I like it where it says we all, not just Moses or the prophets, but all believers, um, with unveiled faces. You know, we, you know, there's nothing to obstruct our vision or our view of Christ. Nothing. So that's the goal. Paul wants to get them to this place. Uh, Romans twelve two says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, conformed and being transformed. Um, so important, and it's a process. And Paul wants to introduce them to that process. So back to the text. And it's a sad thing to, to see how deceived these people were, to be blind to the word of God, um, to not hear and receive the word. And, you know, there's a, there's a famine back, well, in the, in the first century, was more of a famine of the word of God. People needed to hear the word of God, and that's true today. You know, there is a famine in the church when it comes to the word of God. And, um, you know, you've heard enough about that, I think, on Sunday mornings, going through Revelation. But it's sad. It's sad to, to see people miss people miss the opportunity to have a relationship with the Lord. And, um, you know, I know that sounds like a casual statement, but, you know, it really isn't. You know, to to think that people are missing out on being rightly related to God. People are missing out on um, the availability or the opportunity um, to have a, a living, vibrant relationship with God. You know, it's um, it's int- We got there's an awful lot that, um, it's an awful lot that God has entrusted to us. So in verse twenty eight it says, "And though they found no cause of death in him, Jesus, right, that they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. So because of their unbelief, they themselves were the means of fulfilling um, those very scriptures that they were hearing every every week in." Um, the synagogue. So, you know, guys we're either for him or against him. You know, there's no in-between with our relationship with the Lord. So Paul goes on and he says in verse 29, And now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him. Once again, you know, they're fulfilling, they're actually, the, we a part of fulfilling the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And you you can see there's a difference here in verse 29. The first day when they had the reference to that is to um, the Jewish people who rejected the Messiah and had him crucified. And the second day they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. That speaks of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as they took him off the tree and buried him in the tomb. But, you know, it's amazing, Um, Christianity, um, it hinges on verse 30, right? But God raised him from the dead, but God. You know, we we like that phrase, but God. This is like, this should be in the top three of the but gods in the Bible, right? It's a pretty good one. You know, but God raised him from the dead. And think think about this, this fact, and that is a fact, right? We all agree that that is a fact, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead right that's a fact, well, this fact was in direct opposition um, to the official word from the high priest and the council right because what's the rumor what was the what was the political what was the the phrase to be politically correct? somebody stole the body right somebody broke into this the crypt they you know the guards they fell asleep or whatever, and the disciples stole the body and that was the that was the that was the answer that, to this whole Christian thing. He never rose, so when Paul is saying this to a group of people in a synagogue who probably have heard that that very line—that you know that they, he never rose—that it was all a hoax. It was all a hoax. Uh, somebody stole the body. But you know what? We know it's not true, right? We know it's not true. In verse 31, it says, He has seen for many day, he, he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. So Paul is saying, hey, look, you know, Nicodemus took him off the cross, buried him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Oh, and you think that that's not true because you've been listening all these years to this lame thing that, oh, they stole the body and hid it someplace? Well, let me tell you, um, there's people that have seen him. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you know, the disciples that came up from Galilee with him, they saw him. They were with him. You know, look what it says in in 1 Corinthians 15, and it gives us a little bit more detail about who saw the resurrected Christ. And in verses 3 through 8, it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he arose on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, and then by the Twelve. So that's the reference that Paul is making to in his message to um, in the synagogue in Antioch. And then in verse 6, it says, After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, and of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So there were a lot of people around, and if Paul... Paul wrote First Corinthians probably eight years after this. So a lot of these folks are still around. You know, there are eyewitnesses. Yeah, if you remember when um they were showing the the impeachment stuff, you know, these fact witnesses, that was the critical thing, is fact witnesses, you know, eyewitnesses, you know, they were there. You know, and think about it. You know they were there they saw jesus risen they saw him and of course we know that paul was knocked off his horse on the way to damascus and he saw the lord so it's just amazing that how paul is now just kind of systematically he's kind of taking apart their um, you know the foundation of their belief system you didn't you know jesus is the messiah guys yeah right you know they you, you did crucify him okay you missed it but god raised him from the dead Okay, and you know, they there's witnesses, there's eyewitnesses. You know, we know that all of the all of the apostles were martyred, right? And not one of them said, "Oh, we made it up." You know, there's a, a lot of good books out there that that cover this. You know, um, so it's it's really interesting to read just some of the logic behind behind this. So he goes into, um, so he talks about these witnesses. And now he's saying, he's saying, hey, wait, in verse 32, in verse 33, and he says, and we declare to you glad tidings. You know, Peter's saying, hey, this is a time to be, you could be happy about this, glad tidings. And, you know, it's that promise which was made to the fathers, and that promise, um, I have it highlighted in my note because when I look at a promise, I look like it's something that God said that's getting fulfilled, right? So I like that. I like when I see God's word come to pass. His promises that you know His promises come to pass. So that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us. You know, Paul's us in them. It's you know he's one of them, right? For us, he's saying, for us, their children. In that he has raised up or elevated him. He has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So Paul makes known that the promise of the Messiah, which uh, was made to the fathers in the Old Testament, has been fulfilled in Jesus. And you know what? Paul isn't pointing his finger, and he's not, um, you know, he's not rubbing it, in, you know, in their face a little bit that they've missed it. I love that when he says this that. Um, you know, the promise, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children. You know, Paul is saying, you know, hey, us, you know, we've all been there. We've all missed it. But you know what? It's not too late. It's not too late. And then he, he gets, he quotes Psalm t- um, 2, verse 7, that you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And, um, you know, here Paul quotes that. And he's not talking about the incarnation or the birth of Christ, but he's talking about the resurrection of Christ. so Jesus is unique among all men by by virtue of the fact that he rose again from the dead right he's the first the firstborn right of the resurrection. Another thing that I think is interesting is that you know in the context here that Paul is talking about Jesus being resurrected from the dead, and it makes sense because now in verse thirty-four he's gonna um, he's gonna validate this truth concerning Jesus, and he's gonna talk about corruption because if Jesus was buried but God raised him from the dead, logically, right? It would you would think that he wouldn't see corruption, and Paul is gonna break this down for them and, and you know expound that to them, and he's gonna tie it into David and. So do you see Paul is is just meeting these guys where they're at. He's just meeting them where they're at. He knows what they, you know, where where they're coming from because he understands. You know, he understands Judaism because I mean, look at we we know his history. But he's meeting them where they're at and he's taking them to where they need to get to to get saved. And He's doing it in a loving way. you know. When he's talking about things, he's including himself. I mean, I just appreciate the heart and the model that Paul is for us in, in getting the word out and being able um, to share the gospel. So, I mean, and, and it, it helps for us to be educated a little bit in, into what people think, right? And to understand what, how people believe or what they believe. So it says in, um, in verse 34... And it says, in, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure, mer- the sure mercies of David. So the resurrection of Jesus comes into view in verse 34, and God raises him from the dead, no more to see corruption. And then he quotes Isaiah 53 or 55.3, where he says, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And, you know, that sure mercies of David refers to the Devonic Covenant, the Devonic Covenant that promised David that his seed would be ruler over Israel in an everlasting kingdom. Right? And, of course, Paul connected the resurrection of Christ with this promise. And we just read that, we're reading that in, in this verse here in verse 34. It says it was an essential element of fulfilling that promise. So he's He's tying Jesus Christ to the promises made to David. So they're following him right along now. I mean, they understand that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. They knew that. So Paul Paul is going there with this. And he's going to tie this whole thing in that David couldn't have been talking about himself because David died and his body saw corruption. But Jesus from that lineage of David, um, his body, he didn't see corruption. And Paul's going, that's what Paul is trying to bring this, drive this point home to them and tying Jesus into um, the line of David. Of course, like I said, they knew that. So in verse 35, it says, therefore he also says in another Psalm, you shall not allow your Holy One to see corruption. So, you know, he's laying out his case. And corruption is further emphasized here in verse 35. He said, your Holy One, now referring to Jesus, the Messiah, um, won't see corruption. And then verse 36, for David, and he's going to keep explaining it, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, and, um, you know, that's the only way to serve, right, is by the will of God, right? So after David served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. And who did Paul just say that God raised up? Right, Jesus, right? They put him in the tomb, but God, God raised him up. But God raised him up. So David is, is. I mean, yeah, David saw Paul is going. Um, he's, he's, he's taking them through what they already know, but now he's inserting Jesus where the, the prophecies are being fulfilled. So, verse 38, he says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, Jesus, not David, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. So he's getting right to the point. This is it. going to talk about forgiveness of sins and salvation. So, On the basis of the work of Christ, of which his resurrection was the divine seal of approval, right? When God rose him from the dead, he was accepting that sacrifice. Paul was now able to declare the remission of sins as a present reality. Not something that they had to look forward to anymore, but it was a present right now reality. Hey, you guys can be forgiven of your sins, You know, And it isn't by works, it isn't by the law, it's by this man, Jesus Christ, who who you crucified, whom you guys buried, but God rose him from the dead. He is the Messiah, and that through him there is forgiveness of sin. The world needs to hear that. The world needs to hear that when they put their head on their pillow at night, that God loves them, that God is for them, and that God wants to work in their lives, and that they can have a relationship with the Lord. And especially with all the COVID talk, people have, you know, they, a lot of people, a lot of us don't know the whole truth about what the whole thing's all about. You know, there's, you hear a bunch of different things. It's the peace of God that people need. You know, they don't need to know about the political aspect of it all. We don't need to get caught up in all of that. You know, what we need to get caught up in is spending that time that we would waste doing other things in the word and being faithful to share the gospel with people. You know, and I'm not talking, you know, just, just in the course of the day, just sharing the gospel. God's got us here for a reason. And I'll tell you, I've been delivered. I, you know, it's kind of weird. I was talking to my grandson, and you know, he's, he goes to, um, you know, he's, he's born again, He's I think he's 24 now. I hope he's not listening. Zach, I'm sorry. I, I think he's 24. But I was telling him, I said, you know, the, last night I said, you know, Zach, I feel like I've been born again again. Because you know what? A couple months ago I just totally said, hey, you know, I'm not watching any more news. I'm not. I'm going to listen to the weather, and that's it. You know, and the time that I wasted trying to find out who's doing what or what's going on, um, I just spent that time in the Word. And he looked at me and started to laugh. And his wife looked at me and started to laugh. And his wife said, he did the same exact thing. And he said the same exact thing you just said a month ago. And and so, I mean, I have, I'm telling you, it's the remedy for, it's the remedy of all remedies is to focus your heart, your attention on the Lord. You know, stay in the Word of God. You know, let God stretch you a different way, like in His Word. You know, let Him speak to you. Um, Let Him fill. um, Let Him answer the questions in your mind. You know, because now I'm not thinking about well, what about this or what about that. You know, now I'm trying to think. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going through the Book of Acts and I'm trying to keep these things in my head. You know, and I'm meditating on the Word more. And it's just, I'm telling you, I feel, I feel better. I feel like, wow, you know, oh, what's going on in the world? You know, I have, I have no control over that. Who cares what I think? Right? And that's the mentality. I'm a nobody that <laughs> wants to be somebody but to the Lord. I mean, I, you know, I have no, I, have, I don't have a horse in the race or whatever they say. Right? And I don't. And I'm glad now that I've gotten to that point. So if you want to feel like you got born again again, just Keep your head in the book. Just, you know what, be excited about the things that God is speaking to you through his word. You know, there is deliverance in that. Boy, there is life. There is a, a sense of, um, man, you just, you just want more. And um, you know what, you get up in the morning and your whole mindset is different. You know, like what's the Lord going to do? You know, maybe some of you guys are already there, but it took me a while to, to get my head right, you know. But anyway, let's get back to this because I'm running out of time. So he says, um, verse 39, and by him, Jesus, okay? And, and yeah, we, this is a good place to stop. All right, so let me read verse 30, 38 and 39 together. Therefore, let it be known to you. You know, and I could picture Paul. Let it be known to you. He's kind of, you know, just motioning with his hands, you know, just wanting to pull them into this thought. You know, let it be known to you, brethren, brethren, man, that's a a term of endearment, right? Brethren, that through this man, through Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone, not some, not a few, But by him, everyone who believes is justified, right? And this is the first time that Paul uses that word justified. And you know from reading the epistles, um, you know, he used that word a lot in the future to be justified, just as if I didn't do it. I mean, think if you were a Jew. Don't even think if you were a Jew. Think of you you before you got saved, when you thought you did things that God could never forgive and then you realize that when you got saved that God actually will forgive you. I mean that is I mean you guys know what it felt like. You guys I know everybody in this room remembers the day they got saved. And you remember that feeling when you realize this. And think of these think of these folks in the synagogue. They're hearing this for the first time maybe. And it's like it's got to be blowing their minds, right? And by him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Guys, you're doing it the wrong way. It's all through Christ. The law was just there as a school teacher. He's going he's to explain all of that to them when he writes Galatians. And he's going to write back to these guys, right? This is Galatia. This is Galatia. He's going to write back to them that truth. And he's telling him that right now. And so, you know, Paul is declaring full and free justification from all things. And, you know, just something that the law could never do. All of the works, all of the things that we tried to do to get right with God didn't accomplish anything until we accepted Christ that day as our Lord and Savior and realized that, um, you know, it, it wasn't about beating ourselves up. It was just about yielding to him. Confessing our faults, right? Just being real with God. So God can righteously acquit the guilty sinner because the penalty for his sins has been fully met by the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That hasn't changed today. That's the message that needs to be proclaimed today, that, that Jesus is risen. Don't believe the lie. He's been risen and I I love the and, and I you know we'll we'll stop here. Verse forty and forty-one. So Paul says, he loves them, right? Beware therefore. He's warning them, beware. Beware, therefore, least what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. That's not a good thing, right? You know, it's not a good thing at all. He's quoting Habakkuk one five. Behold you despisers, marvel and perish. For a work I work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. And Paul's declaring it to them, right? He's telling them that they were up, they were on the wrong end of that. And he wants to get them on the, the right end of it. So verse, verse 42 is, is so cool. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them on the next Sabbath. They begged. They wanted to hear the truth so bad they were begging them. Please come back next week and tell us some more. And you know that Paul didn't wait till next week. Because you know that these I mean I'm sure that they had Bible studies whenever they could, and I'm sure within a week, and there were a lot of cool things that were happened that maybe aren't obviously aren't recorded. But I, I can't imagine Paul saying, Okay, um you know, Gina, come back. Yeah, next week we'll talk. Yeah, but, you know, we're on track. Try to remember what we talked about today, but next week we'll, no, I'm sure, you know, he said, hey, you know what, let's, hey, you guys don't go anywhere, let's hang out right here. We don't have to be inside to do this. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, maybe I'm assuming too much, but I would think, knowing uh, what we read about Paul through the the book of Acts and, you know, his epistles, that uh, he didn't wait till next week. So, um, we'll next month. We'll um, we'll pick up and finish off the chapter. Um, it's just amazing, um, you know. The congregation, you know, the, he just they encourage them. Verse forty three. And when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes follow Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And if I can exhort you guys with anything to close this with it would be to try to persuade you to continue in the grace of God the rest of this week. Oh, it is the beginning of the week. The whole week. All right. All right, well, let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for, um, for tonight. And Lord, um, uh, just, um, just, I don't know, Lord, just amazed at um, your love and your grace for us. Lord, and You know, and I just think that even when we were at our worst, you loved us in Jesus. You still went to the cross, paid the price for us, and uh, we've never been the same since then, Lord, and we're so thankful for that. And, God, I pray that you would um, speak to our hearts, Lord, um, you know, personally, uh, Lord, um, intimately, God, that you would... um, Just get our attention, Lord. I pray that we would give you our undivided attention as you speak to our hearts. And, Lord, we we just want our relationship with you to just be so real, the Lord. And um, we want, um, Lord, our relationship with you to be um, the the priority um, in our lives. And I know that, um, you know, we have busy lives. We have kids, grandkids, jobs. We have a lot of things going on. But Lord, you um you know you've taken up residence within us. I mean, we don't need to schedule an appointment you're you're always there. you're that ever present help. You said you'd never leave us or forsake us. so um Lord, help us to um, find um, better ways or maybe different ways to cultivate our relationship with you throughout the day, uh, Lord, as we're doing whatever we're we're doing. And, um, Lord, that we would see the importance of being um, rooted in your word, Um, Lord, the importance of the intimacy of our um, relationship with you, Um, you know, in the times that that we live in, Lord, that we would see that, and that, uh, God, that you would um, just lead us into those quiet places. Uh, We pray, Holy Spirit, you would continue to impress on our hearts the importance um, of your word and being in it. And Lord, give us um, a boldness uh, to proclaim your word, uh, Lord, to uh, step into those opportunities that you give us, uh, to be a light and to be a witness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us, for cleansing us. Thank you, Lord, for um, justification. Lord, thank you for that process of sanctification and Lord, that that we can have the assurance that you're with us every step of the way. So we thank you for that. Uh, We pray for traveling mercies uh, for us to get home tonight. And Lord, uh, should you tarry, we thank you for tomorrow and um, just the excitement to to live another day um, with you. So we praise you and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.